good to see you guys here. My name is Austin, and I'm a pastor here. Uh, if you're new this week, uh, this is week five. Week five of our existence, this is City Light Church. And so um, we're a core team, and basically what that means is that we're a team of people that are gathering weekly to study um, God's word faithfully, um, to, to look at it, to build our leadership teams and form servant teams, to, to make our, beaut- uh, our building beautiful, uh, to, to pray earnestly together that Jesus would make this church his church, uh, and a church that would be founded on his Bible and on his gospel. And so through this season, um, we're planting uh, this church, and then we will launch publicly in January. And so if you're in the room today... Congratulations, you're a core team member. You're a church planner. You're like, whoa, I never signed anywhere. You're thinking, I don't know about this guy. But anyways, hey, that's my hope. But um, we need you, and we're excited you're in the room. And so, um, so jump in. Uh, let's run together uh, towards Jesus into um, impacting the city for his gospel. And so uh, would you open up your Bibles to Galatians 2? And as you're opening them, I just want to give a quick overview of what we've been doing. So the past four weeks, we went through our core values. We have four core values, down, up, in, and out, which are shorthand for gospel, formation, community, and mission. And so these, are, these define everything we do. They shape us. They guide us. We see them so clearly in Scripture. And so as a family, we want to make sure that we understand our core values. And so for the next four weeks... We'll be going through the book of Galatians to see where down, up, in, and out manifest themselves through this book. And so we're super excited for it. It's going to be great. Now, the book of Galatians is written by a man named Paul. Paul, at one point, was a persecutor of the Christian church. He killed Christians, but God intervenes in his life, saves him, and makes him one of the most influential Christians that have ever lived. So this guy um, writes this book to the church in Galatia to remind them its purpose gospel. And there's only one way to salvation, and that's through faith in Jesus. And so this book is beautiful. And this morning, I get the great privilege uh, of talking about down, which is the gospel. So God's love manifested by him sending his son, Jesus, for broken sinners like you and I. Now, I want to ask, have you ever heard of the gospel club? Some of you are like, I don't know. I'm I'm not talking about a chess club or like a math club or anything like that. I'm talking about an actual bat. Okay, you're like, what do you mean the gospel and a bat go together? Well, um, so it started, uh, we got invented about a year or so ago by me. I mean, I don't know, but anyways. Uh, <laughs> so my friend and I go out to lunch. We go get tacos with this college guy. And he says, I just want to learn, or I want to talk about Christianity with you. And so we say, okay. So we go and we're having tacos. And he says, um, we found out basically that he grew up in the church and uh, went to church his whole life. And he got into college and thought, peace. I'm done. I don't want anything really to do with Jesus. I don't want anything to do with Christianity. And so what he was basically asking us was, how can I be made right with God? Like, how do I know if I'm okay before God? So basically to ask, will I get into heaven? Right? Classic question. And so we respond with the other classic question of, okay, well, if you were to die today and you were to stand before God and he said, why should I let you in? What would you say? Now, before I tell you his answer, I want you to think about what your answer would be. If the holy God of the universe, you died and you stood before him, what would you say if he said, why should I let you in? And so this guy, he thinks for a second, kind of ponders, and he says, okay, well, I got my answer. I would tell him that I never missed church from elementary school all the way through high school. I'd tell him that, that, uh, that I've given money to the church and that when I see people in need, I usually help them. 
Now, this may be the same answer that you would give or very similar, and I'm glad you're in the room because I actually have a better answer than that. Maybe it's the only answer to be made right before God. And so anyways, I look at Andrew, and he grabs his metaphorical gospel club and just starts beating, like, just like, hey, man, this is what the gospel is. This is what, who Jesus is. It's not that you could make your way to heaven, but Jesus came to you. He did what you could never do for yourself. And he's preached the gospel, hey, we're broken sinners, but God loves us. And so it's beautiful. I'm like, dude, you are killing it right now. Like, he just had a hold on the gospel club, right? And so he's beating this guy with it. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, okay. So considering everything we've just said, you're standing before God, what would you say? We're waiting, man. I'm like, I'm ready for this. He's going to get it. Well, I, I tell him that... Uh, that I've, I'm not perfect, but I've, I've tried really hard, and and like and I, I'm maybe not as bad as some other people. I'm like, no, he didn't just say that. No, he didn't. We no, he didn't say. And then so I look at Andrew. He's like, go ahead. So I grab the gospel club and I start going to ham on him. And he's like, so I'm preaching the gospel. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's not that you try harder. It's that you trust Jesus and that He did for you. Like I said, what you couldn't do for yourself. And so we're dropping these gospel bombs, all these paradigms, and we're going through. And by the end of our lunch. Unfortunately, he still didn't understand the gospel. And I know we laugh, and it might sound funny, but I actually think this gives us great insight into our own hearts, right? Like, we maybe say that we believe in Jesus and we understand his grace, but, but we don't live that way. We don't live out of those truths. The way we see God, the way we act around God or under God, we don't act in that same reality that, that he died for our sins and that his sacrifice was sufficient, So many of us in the room are guilty of thinking that the gospel is only for people who haven't heard about Jesus yet or don't know Jesus or that the gospel message just saves us and that's it. We have this tendency to think, well, yeah, I mean, I understand the gospel, but let's get into something deeper. Let's get into deeper theology. Like, give me something more. Give me something deeper. Now, Martin Luther was was a pastor and the father of the Protestant Reformation. And he said, when he talking about the gospel, he said this. It is most necessary that we should know this article well, that we should teach it to each other and beat it into our heads continually. Like this guy in the 1600s created the gospel club. Okay, it wasn't me a year ago in a taco shop. Um, but, but really, City Light, I mean, I want to make sure that you understand that week after week, year after year, we will preach the gospel. Like, it's all we've got. And, and, and so that's why this, mor- this morning matters. That far too often, our view of what Jesus did for us is too small, and we try to think that we can move past it. But I want us as a family to cherish the gospel, to, to grow in the gospel, and to live the gospel reality out in our lives. And so if you've been a Christian for 40 years, don't you dare check out this morning and think it's not about you. And if you're in the room and you're still trying to earn salvation by what you're doing, I pray that God would show you the beauty of his grace. That you don't have to keep trying and try to earn your way, that that's not a possibility. And so as we think about forming a church, forming City Light Lincoln Church around the gospel, we need to be intentional about articulating the gospel week after week in our city groups, in our college ministry, on Sunday morning gatherings, in the songs that we sing. We need to beat the gospel continually into our minds so we make sure we don't forget it. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves day after day. Because number one, we will have people like my friend, the college student, who have heard the gospel a thousand times and still don't get it. And we're going to have people like me, um, too, that 
that know the gospel, that understand the gospel, but I need to be reminded of it daily because my tendency is to lean away and start to justify myself. And three, you look through this entire thing, and from Genesis to Revelation, the central theme is God redeeming broken sinners to himself for his glory. And so if we want to be, if you say, I want to be a part of a Bible preaching church, then we've got to be gospel-centered. Everything we do has to revolve around the gospel. And I don't want you to take my word for it. And so let's look into our text this morning, Galatians 2, verses 15 through 16. Paul writes, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So right before we get to this passage, Paul is confronting Peter about not preaching the truth of the gospel, right? Like Peter was basically adding things for people to do to be made right before God. Remember, this is Peter, the guy that spent three years with Jesus, the guy in Acts 2 preached the gospel and thousands of people were saved. Like, this is Peter. And and Paul is reminding him about the full, sufficient sacrifice of Jesus. And so in verses 15 and 16, it shows, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so my first point that I want us to see is that only faith in Jesus justifies the guilty sinner. Okay, so when Paul says Gentile sinners, he's not claiming that because he's a Jew that he's not a sinner. Um, If you're not familiar with the Old Testament, God chose the Jewish people to be his people. Not because they were special or good, but because he just wanted to choose a certain people to display his glory and goodness through. And so many of the, so if you weren't a Jew, you were considered a Gentile. And so um, Gentiles were considered sinners because they worshipped a ton of different gods. And, um, and that was just kind of their, their label that they got put on them. And so to say you were Jewish in this culture would be essentially similar to us saying that we grew up in the church. Right? Like it might sound a little bit morally better than something else, but, but Paul says this, and then he goes into right after saying this, man cannot be justified by works of the law. So he's saying that his status, his birthright, his resume, where he grew up could not and would not earn him salvation. And so Paul says the word justified three times in verse 16. If you're reading through your Bible this week and you find anything that is repeated three times or even two times, hone in on that because I think God is trying to show us a certain thing. And so justification, it's a legal term, and it means to be made right. And specifically when talking about being made right, he's talking about being made right before God. See, but there's a problem. God is righteous. He's holy. He's perfect. And we're not. We're not righteous. We're, we're broken and we're messy, but only righteous people can inherit eternal life, can have eternal life. And so the question becomes, well, how can an unrighteous person become righteous before a holy God, right? Or, or in other words, how can a sin, sinful person be justified before God? And so Paul lays out two options for us. So we've got two options this morning that you can go towards. Option one is works of the law. And option two is faith in Jesus. So look at verse 16. We're not justified, how? By works of the law. So, okay, that's option one. And we already know that it doesn't work, right? It it doesn't work. He said it, it won't work. But 
If it weren't an option, if Peter weren't trying to live by the law, then, then Paul wouldn't have referenced it, right? So if Peter can start to live by the law, then so can we. So we have to be mindful to this. And so if you say, you know what? I think I want to try the works of the law option. Well, let's explore that together. Let's just, let's just see what it looks like. The first five books of the Old Testament are called the Torah. Now, translated, that means the law. So in the Old Testament alone, there are 613 laws, okay? So it's not just the 10 commandments you have to keep, but 613 meticulous laws. And so let's just say some of you would say, you know what? I'm getting real audacious. I think I could do those 613 laws. Okay, great. What happens if you keep 612 perfectly, but one, you just slightly get off? Like, what happens there? Well, James 2 says, whoever keeps the whole law but breaks one is guilty of it all. Okay, so you have to understand that God's requirement for you is not for you to be good or better than someone else. His requirement for you is to be perfect. So if you want to go this route, if you want to say option one sounds pretty good to me, being made right with God, you have to be perfect, spotless, blameless. And see, that's a weight that none of us can bear, right? Like Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So your grandma sinned. Your me, sinful, definitely sinful. Your baby daughter, sin, like sin. So we have to understand that no one is immune from this sin. We've all inherited it. We've all chosen to walk in sin. And now you may be looking around and saying, I'm better than that guy. Like that, I'm better than him. And okay, okay, great. But again, remember, it's not about being better. It's about being perfect, right? So imagine this. Um, we all say, you know what? Let's go to the Grand Canyon and let's jump across. So some of you guys are going to jump a lot farther than me, right? Like I don't have very long legs. God still loves me. But I, anyways, Mo makes fun of me a lot about that. So just so you know, just kind of, kind of confessing some some insecurities. But anyways, uh, I'm glad you guys are laughing. That's so great. So anyway, so we, we all jump one after another. We jump in and we go, but, but, but no one makes it, right? It's impossible. Some of you may jump a lot farther than me, but at the end, you're not going to make it. You're going to fall. Now, Congrats on jumping farther, but you've still fallen to your death. And so in the same way, when you, you maybe have kept some laws better than another person or metaphorically jumped farther, but celebrating your goodness is like celebrating that you jumped farther than me, but you still died. Like, it's crazy, right? There's no point in comparing like that. Like, it's not that you're better or that you're worse. It's that you've sinned and fallen short. You, you, and then the other option is that you, you would be perfect, And so Paul says three times in verse 16, no one will be justified by works of the law. But understand this, the law had to be perfectly fulfilled by someone. So look at verse uh, 16 again. It brings us to our second option. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus. Okay, so we can't be justified by our works, but simply by faith in Jesus. In City Light, I know that justification sounds like an old, archaic, religious word, but I want us to learn to love it and cherish it and learn it. And so here's what justification is. If you want to write it down, you can feel free. Justification is the act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous before God. Sorry, 
The justification is the act of God where he declares the believing sinner righteous in Christ Jesus. Now, nothing to do with our works, but everything to do with what Jesus had done. So I want to give you four distinguishing realities of justification. Number one, it's an act, not a process. Okay, so no one is more or less righteous, if you're a Christian, than another person, because it's Christ's righteousness, not your own. It happens in an instant, and so you've been declared righteous before God. It's not a process that you earn, that you walk into. It's in an instant, God declares you righteous before him. Number two, justification is an act of God. So not of man, but of God. So it's a gift given and not earned. Three, justification is not simply forgiveness. Because you can be forgiven, and that sounds great, but then you can go out and do the very same thing and be condemned again, right? So it's not permanent. Justification is permanent. And point four, justification is different than a pardon. See, a pardoned criminal still has that on his record or on her record, but Christ remembers our sins no more. And so your resume, because you've trusted in Jesus, doesn't just say innocent. It says perfect, That's good news. And so here's a problem you might be thinking with justification. How can a good judge be just if he declares rebellious people innocent? Right? Like, that's not a... So to put it into a story, imagine last night a random guy breaks into a home and kills someone's entire family. Like, that would be horrid, right? That would would not be good at all. And so he gets caught, he gets tried, he goes to um, court, and they're in there, the judge says... You're forgiven. Like, I just, you know what, you're, you're forgiven. Would any of us be okay with that? No, right? Because he, he broke the law. Like, his, his, his crimes deserve punishment, right? And so, in the same way, for God to just wave his divine hand over sinners and say, you're forgiven, that would actually be unjust. Someone had to pay for the sins that we committed, Right? Someone had to be, and I've got news for you, City Light. Actually, I've got the best news you'll ever hear. God, in his divine sovereignty, chose fit to send his son Jesus to empty himself, become a form, in the form of a servant, and die for sinful humanity. That in that moment, Jesus became our substitute, that he took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. That's the gospel. And on the cross, innocent, blameless, Jesus turns to the Father and calls out, but the Father turns his face away. In that moment, all of your sin, past, present, and future, was poured out on Jesus' shoulders. See, but it had to be done, right? Like, for God to forgive his people, for him to say, I forgive you, or you're not condemned, someone had to pay the punishment. And Hebrews 12 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. He became our substitute. Christ perfectly fulfilled the law for us and took the punishment that we deserve for our sin and in turn gave us his righteousness. So that by faith alone and Christ alone, we can be justified, made right before a holy God. And so Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. 
See, because of Jesus, we're made right by trusting, not trying. The gospel is not what I can do for Jesus, but what Jesus has already done for me. That's the gospel. That's the good news that we talk about every single week. And so what, what does this mean? Well, this means that you can stop trying to earn your salvation and you can finally rest. This means that you can stop trying to live by your own strength and actually be strengthened by him. This means it's okay to be weak and vulnerable because his grace has covered it all. So don't don't submit back to the yoke of slavery to try to keep the law. Jesus did it perfectly for you. And you may have heard this a thousand times. But you need to hear it a million more. Because like the college guy, we're quick to forget the grace of God and run back to justifying ourselves. And starting to live like we need to straighten up and get our stuff together. See, only faith in Jesus justifies the guilty sinner. See, but the gospel message isn't just a message for people that don't know Jesus. No, it's a message that we need to continue to hear to sustain us redeemed sinners in the room. And so let's read verses 17 through 21 and see where Paul is going. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Well, certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. My second point is that only faith in Jesus sustains the redeemed sinner. And so verse 17 is a question that's been asked for the last 2,000 years over and over and over again. And I know it sounds a little bit confusing, but it's really simple. What people are asking Paul is saying, wait, so if you're teaching that you can be justified by faith alone, then aren't you encouraging people to just live however they want? Like, what incentive is there to live for God? This sounds irresponsible. This sounds reckless. This sounds crazy. And Paul's response, certainly not. See, a heart that is tasted and seen that Jesus is good doesn't want to run back to the old, unsatisfying ways of life, right? Like, when we see what our heart is really yearned for, the fount, like, we don't want to go anywhere else. And so let me explain it through a story. Uh, A man from the north goes to the south in the late 1700s when slavery was legal, and he buys a girl, a young girl. And as they're walking out, he looks to her and says, you're free. She, she, she says, what do you mean? He said, you're free. Am I free to say whatever I want to say? Yeah. Am I free to, to be whoever I want to be? Yeah, you are. Okay, well, am I free to go wherever I want to go? And he says with a smile, yeah, you can go wherever you want to go. And she says, well, then I want to stay with you. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came into this world not to strip away your freedom, but to strip away your slavery to self to actually give you true freedom. Amen? Like, that's what he does. He provides freedom 
And the gospel compels us to want to be with Jesus, not out of obligation or guilt, but as a joy. Like we can't help but wanting to be with this man that looks us in the face and says, you can run, you can sin, you can go wherever you want, but I'm going to be right here. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. And that's the good news that wants to keep us there. It's true freedom. Rules and mandates will never change a rebellious heart. Only his grace does that. And then in verse uh, 18, Paul says, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I just proved myself to be a transgressor. See, the message of the gospel, it tears down the idea that man can be justified by works of the law. Like we've already explained that. Option one doesn't work. Paul says, if I rebuild that, if I start to think and to preach that by my own works I can justify myself, I'm just proving that I'm a sinner. Like I'm just proving that I don't have it all together. And so he shows the failure and thinking that keeping the law will produce more obedience than justification by faith alone. He says, if I wanted to live by the law, not by grace, then all I would do is break the law. And that doesn't help you. It only condemns you. And so here, there's a tendency in all of our hearts to justify our behavior, right? We can be honest with ourselves. And so what happens is we all have this defense attorney in our minds. And he or she is really, really good. And so what happens is when we mess up, when we drop the ball, we hear this voice. It wasn't that bad. Right? Like when we blow up and explode in anger and, and, and hurt somebody, we hear this voice saying, you didn't mean it to to say it that way. When we click in on that website that we know we shouldn't click in on, we hear this voice say, it's only one more time. Like, you're not going to do it again. We are justifying ourselves by our behavior. And when we come to our own defense to justify ourselves, we're justifying ourselves rather than Jesus being our great justifier. And so if you say, yeah, amen, that's, that's what I do. I, I tend to justify myself all the time. Here's what you need to do. Fire your defense attorney. Like literally say, man, I don't need you anymore. Jesus is my defense. My resounding, confident defense statement is Jesus loves me. He gave himself for me. He died for me. He is the one that justifies me, not myself. So when you blow it, when you miss the mark, don't say, I'm going to try harder and be better. Say, remind yourself that Jesus loves you and he died for you. He's your justifier. And so look at what Paul is saying in verses 19-20. This is what he's explaining. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He's saying, I died to the law. I fired my defense attorney. I'm finally free to admit that I'm not perfect because Jesus was perfect in my place. See, he's saying, I died to the law so that I could finally live. I fired my defense attorney so I could have an actual defender. See, the purpose of the law was never to grant you salvation. It was to show us our need for it. But look at the picture that Paul paints For a Christian in verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And so all of your, all of our sinful efforts to justify ourselves and all of our rebellion against a holy God was nailed to the cross 2,000 years ago. 
So Jesus is saying, you don't have to carry that burden anymore. Like, give it to me. I'll take your burdens. I'll take your weight. I'll take your slavery. And in turn, I'll give you freedom. I'll give you life. I'll be your defender. When you place your faith in Jesus, the weight of your sin is placed on the shoulders of Jesus and crucified to the cro- in the cross. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so I, I want to ask, what does it look like to live by faith in Jesus? Russ, so are you living out of the reality that Jesus loves you and gave himself for you? Or are you running to the law to make a weak attempt to justify yourself? When we see the beauty of the gospel, we can say, my accomplishments do not distinguish me, and my failures do not destroy me, but the love of Jesus defines me. See, law says do, and grace says done. Law says keep trying, and grace says it is finished. Law says here's what you owe, and grace says paid in full. And I know this sounds great, and it's all theoretical, but I promise you it means nothing if we don't believe it in our heart. And it means nothing if we as a church don't live that reality out in the city. Like, I don't want to be a church that just thinks about the gospel or knows the gospel or talks about it on Sunday mornings. I want to be a church that lives the gospel out continually. Like, that's what we have to be. So I've been begging Jesus, make us a church that are, that's formed by your gospel. And so I want to be really applicable, really tangible, and just give you three points how I I want our church to be shaped by the gospel, okay? Number one, will people be free to confess sin? Is City Light Lincoln Church going to be a community that is open about our brokenness? We've got to answer that question. So the gospel frees us, like I said, from comparing our sin or thinking that we're better And if we know that we can't be justified by works of the law, then we don't have to hide behind this mask of saying, everything's fine. Right, like, we can stop trying to impress God and others and just be honest. Like, we can be open about our sin because we know that it's been paid by Jesus. Are we going to be a community that's open about confessing our weakness and sin? Point number two, will we enforce rules or remind people of the gospel? So, so if we're going to be a church that's open about our sin and our brokenness, then we have to be a church that reminds people of the gospel, right? So when someone comes to you and confesses their sin, that's a great privilege. That's a great honor. And if you come back to that confession and start imposing rules and regulations, you're doing what Paul was warning Peter to do. Don't rebuild what you tore down. It's not works of the law that will ever justify someone. So meet their sins with Jesus' abounding grace. Remind them that they cannot be justified by works of the law and they can't be condemned by works of the law either. That in Jesus, they have righteousness. And so if you're wanting to see people's lives changed, it won't be through enforcing rules. I promise you that. It'll come by preaching the gospel. See, grace produces real, joyful obedience to God. Are we going to be a people that enforce rules or remind people of the gospel? And point three, this is for our whole church. We're going to be a church that preaches good news, not just good advice. So every week, week after week, Mo and I are praying through, Jesus, let your gospel be made known. Let your gospel be 
It's so evident in our church through our words, through our songs. And so we meet as a staff team and we pray through. We look through this passage. We dig in. Jesus, where's your gospel in this? We just want to show people how good you are. And, and I will meet with Isaac and, and the worship team and say, what are songs that we can pick to show the story of the gospel? And, I, and I'm really inviting you. This is, this is a truthful invitation that Mo and I have prayed through. If we ever start to just preach good advice and don't preach good news, tell us. Hold us accountable to preach the Bible, the truth of the Bible that God loves and redeems broken sinners. We don't want to be a church that's just about good news. I mean, good advice. We want to be a church that's all about good news. And I, I really want to be a church that's shaped by the gospel. And so I want to ask, do you? Like, is that your desire, to be a part of a church family that wants to be shaped by the gospel? In verse 21, Paul shows us the danger of forgetting or moving past the gospel. He says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And I want us, I want us to see this. I, I really want us to look at this because it's wildly sinful. If we think that we can be justified by works of the law, we're actually saying that God killed his beloved son for no reason. How cruel would that be? Like if there was another way for us to be made right with God, but God still said, you know, I want to kill my son. No, this was the only way. There's no answer within us. God knew that, and so he had to send his son. It was a drastic remedy. It was the only way. And so what we do, if we think that we can earn God's approval by works, is we say, Jesus, you shouldn't have died on the cross. I could do it by myself. And the second one is, if you think that, yeah, I mean, Jesus' life and his death, uh, it forgave me, it got me into the Christian crowd, but now it's on me to work my way towards Jesus and continue to justify myself. Or what you're saying is that Jesus' death on the cross was good, but it wasn't enough. That somehow you can work to earn your salvation, and so you have to make up for what Jesus didn't do on the cross. And there's nothing farther from the gospel. City Light, this is Paul talking to Peter. Remember, again, reminding the man that spent three years with Jesus, one of Jesus' closest friends, the good news of the gospel. So this, this should show us that we need to be reminded of the gospel day in and day out, right? Your greatest challenge is not your discipline, your devotion, your focus, your rule following. Your greatest challenge is believing the gospel is true. That God would send his only son, the only way to die for sinful people like you and I. That's the good news. That Jesus loves us and gave himself for us. That's our biggest challenge. That's our biggest challenge is to believe the gospel is true. Only faith in Jesus can justify guilty sinners, and only faith in Jesus can sustain redeemed sinners. And so would we be a church that magnifies Jesus in his gospel? Would we be a church that never grows old of hearing this message, but wants to hear it every single week that yearns for this gospel message? As the old hymn goes, I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died, and that he died for me. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your gospel and for your glory. 
man, this is good news that our hearts tend to forget. And so I just ask for forgiveness for, for not always remembering it, for not always making it primary. And so, Jesus, would you forgive me for that? Would you make our church uh, a church that's so set on fire for your gospel? That's all we want to talk about. That's all we want to do is just explain how good you are and how real you are and how beautiful you are and that you loved us and gave yourself for us. And so, Jesus, for the people in the room that have been Christians for 40 years or 20 years or five years, would we remember and cherish and grow in the gospel and not think it's just a message we heard 40 years ago, but it's a message we need to hear every single day. And for the person in the room who hasn't quite trusted you yet, that's still trying to justify themselves by works of the law, would you soften that heart? And would you lead that heart to trust you fully and completely, to know that we can't be justified by works, but through faith in you, you don't have to clean up. You don't have to get yourself ready. You don't have to get better. Jesus is meeting you in your mess and restoring you. And so, Jesus, I pray that we would enter this time in thanksgiving, that we'd be centered around your gospel. It's in your precious name. Amen.